there's a reason why we've come to this point. And part of it is um, we've been having meals for CNU students, and I've been having CNU students come up to me and go, that was so awesome. And, and it's not just CNU students, I should say this. You, you can go to any college, or if you're, if you're of that age, you know, and you're single and you'd love to get in on this meal thing, we'd love, we'd love to have you. But just getting some of the responses that I've been getting that has just been uh, the, the people just saying, I love this. I got to have a home-cooked meal. I had such a good time. They were so gracious, you know, just over and over and things like that. And it's that whole idea. It got me thinking, this, this whole idea that the, there's such a power in a meal. There is such a power in having someone, you know, into your house or taking someone someplace and treating it. That, and what happens there is something that we can't quantify. We can't sit there and go, okay, at this point, this is going to happen. At this point, this. But something does happen. Something clicks. And people love that. We need this. And that got me thinking about meals. And then it got me thinking about meals in the Bible and how we see that. And that got me thinking about Zacchaeus. And so that's why we got there. It's not just a rabbit trail. It's, a, it's, it's like going down a long hole. I don't know what it is. Um, but we're going to read Luke 19, 1 through 10. All right? And I'll, I'll, let me read that for you. You can follow along. It's on the sheet. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Those two always go together. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, I, I started thinking about this, because this is, to me, the, the, this is a very interesting story, and it's not that long ago that we looked at this story somewhat briefly, but I want to come at it from a little bit of a different angle than, than how we looked at it this last time, because I think there's some things here that can be life-changing for us. So first thing is setting the cultural setting, and, and I know a lot of you know this, but tax collectors were despised. They were the worst of the worst. They're always mentioned in the same breath as sinners, right? It's always that type of a thing. They're the worst of the worst. Why? Because they're traitors. They are Jews who have gone into the employ of the Roman government. And what has happened is Rome auctions off the right to collect taxes to large sections of, of countries they've conquered. And they want someone who's local to be the tax collector because they know, they know the, the, the roads. They know the people. They know the places where you have to cross a bridge so it's a bottleneck and that's a great place to collect taxes. They know where the crossroads. They know the lay of the land. And so what happens is, understanding this, they are... In an occupied country, they hate the people who are occupying their country, and one of their own people works with the occupiers 
to collect taxes. So what happens? They auction it off. Person says, I will collect you this much taxes. And they say, okay, you won. You collect this much taxes. Anything extra you collect is yours. So what does that do? That gives tax collectors a great incentive to overcharge people. So they were hated. They were traitors, and they ripped their own people off. And so everyone hates them. We know from some historical documents, it's not just that everyone hates them. Tax collectors had a high death rate. They, were all, they never could go out alone at night. Okay, Especially from, if you've read your Bible, there's, there are these people called the zealots. And the zealots believed in armed insurrection. And the zealots would be the terrorists of our day. And we talk about, you know, we talk about ambushes and things like that. The zealots did that. They looked for a Roman soldier or a tax collector who was walking alone and unguarded. And they would kill them. And so, because of that, and this will come to play in here, tax collectors had an aversion to crowds. Because if you get in a crowd where no one can see what happens, you can find a knife in your back just like that. And so tax collectors knew there's certain things they couldn't do. There's certain places they couldn't go. And when they collected their taxes, they always had Roman soldiers with them to make sure there was no problems. All right, so we got to understand how hated. Now, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. In other words, he's the one that won the bid for a large area, and now he has other tax collectors in his employ. So it tells us he's a wealthy man. All right, he's a wealthy man. He's a chief tax collector. He's a traitor. He's a turncoat to his own people, and he finds salvation. He finds salvation. So the question I want to ask here is, how do you get the salvation, the power of Jesus flowing in your life? You, you know, you may say, well, Bob, I'm already saying, okay, but still, how, do, how does it work for us, even as Christians? How do we get that going in our lives? And it's a good question to ask because this is what Jesus said he came to do. And we see a total change in the life of Zacchaeus, a life change. How did that happen? And we're going to look at this story, and we're going to apply some points to ourselves. To see life change, we have to first, we have to deal with our internal obstacles. Now, this can be one of the biggest barriers for people in coming to Christ or in growing in Christ. Because our heart can have, can have this sense of pride, can have this, this, this sense of who we are, and, and, and that can be a problem for us. We have, oftentimes we have this sense of dignity. I'm this kind of a person. And we don't want to give that up. This requires self-awareness. What I mean by self-awareness is the ability to understand why you do what you do. We just, just had a wedding. I'm, I had met with this couple of, about four times to discuss premarital, to go over a lot of this stuff. And one of the things we talked about a lot was self-awareness. Why do you do the things you do? You were raised a certain way. And so you, you have certain things that are just instilled in you. You didn't ask for it. It was just done. You have certain things, good or bad, that are instilled in you. And then you've done some other things on your own. And then and all this product, education, all these things, you're a product of that, and that influences you. And having self-awareness is this ability to look back and say, I know why I act this way in this situation, because that was how it was instilled in me. Or that's what happened to me that one time. So I've, this is a learned thing that I do understanding why I do things. And for a couple, why this is so important is to be able to understand not just why you do the things you do, but why your wife, why your husband does the things that he does. So that when you get into a difficult situation, it doesn't catch you by surprise. 
You don't go, oh my goodness, I never knew you were like that. I've made a terrible error, right? We don't want that to happen in your life. We want you to know it doesn't make the problem go away, but it helps you understand why you are reacting the way you react, why your husband or your wife's reacting the way they react. And so this can be, these internal obstacles can be a huge problem for us. And so when Zacchaeus got up into that tree, what did he do? He left his dignity behind. Even in our culture, which is a very informal culture, if there was a parade in Newport News, and to get a better view, the mayor of Newport News climbed up in a tree and was kind of looking out over the parade, you know the daily press, oh my goodness, this is front page material, right? They grab that shot and they say, look, look at this, look at our mayor. You know, and they, they, they may make a joke out of it, or, but it would be funny. We would be amused because it's not dignified. That's not what a mayor does. The mayor gets the seat where he can see everything. He doesn't have to climb a tree. And this is a very traditional culture. This is a very formal culture. Zacchaeus is a very wealthy man, and the rules are pretty strict on what you do and what you don't do in your station of life, your social status. And so when he climbed a tree, he put his dignity aside. He opened himself up to be mocked. He opened himself up to be made fun of because climbing the tree and seeing Jesus was more important to him than what people thought of him necessarily. Now, it may have helped because he's a tax collector. I understand that. He's like, it's not like they think of me very well to begin with. But you know what? Even if people hate you, you don't want to be mocked. You don't want to be mocked. Being mocked is a, is, is a difficult thing. And so he does something that's almost like what a child would do, right? A child would just think, tree, go, I'm up. And it happens. But not an adult. An adult wouldn't do that because that'd be like humbling yourself. And so this, this gets us to this idea now as we fight these internal obstacles that keep us from living for Christ, that keep us from growing in Christ. Jesus talks about this. He says, he, um, oh wait, this is, I, sorry, there we go. He called a little man to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, our culture can kind of get with, oh, that's childlike faith, childlike faith. You know, like you really don't think it through, you just jump. And, and, and that's not what, if you notice, it's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about taking a low position. He's talking about humility. He's not talking about the intellectual thinking process that's involved in faith. He's talking about the humility that's involved in faith. Children have not developed a sense that certain things are proper and certain things are not proper. Children say what they think and do what they think. There's no holding them back. Children are not that concerned with what other people think about them. They just do things. They just do things. And I, have mul- I can look back at multiple times in my life where I pulled my children back from getting smacked by somebody because they just blurted things out to them. They just said something that they thought was appropriate and was totally inappropriate. And I'm not going to share them with you. This one, I, I did not get permission, so I'm not going to share it with you. But it, take- but it-, it was Reagan. Um, but with children, it can take forms, it can take in, in different cultures and in different ways. But you have to be willing to do what Zacchaeus did. 
You have to be willing to climb a tree, to look silly, to humble yourself, and look like a child in some people's eyes, because you will. You will. I mean, you think about it, even in our culture, this can happen in our culture. Um, Lord of the Rings movie. And we're not going to talk about the movie. Just talk about, I read a review. It was by a very uh, well-known reviewer. Many of you would have heard of this person. And this person said this. I don't like the movie because it's based on a flawed book. And they said, he said, "I, I enjoyed it when I was a kid, but I grew out of it. And he said, because this book and this movie defines right and wrong very clearly. Evil and good are shown to be evil and good. And he said, life's not that way. Right and wrong is not that way. Evil and good is not that way. See, in our culture, we have this flawed idea that when we grow up, we stop believing in supernatural things. But when you're a child, you read stories, fairy tales, you see movies, and they enthrall us. They fill us with wonder. They tell us that this world is not all there is. My favorite movie is Hook. And, and, and I saw that as an adult, and it rekindles something in me because I loved Peter Pan as a child. I love that idea of flying, right? I love that idea of being able to do things that weren't normally available. And, and, and so Hook captured my imagination also. And our culture says that's, that's a flaw. Because there's, there's not good and evil. There's not supernatural forces in this world. We're not part of a struggle. But the Word of God goes, goes directly opposite of that. The Bible teaches directly opposite of that. It says we are a part of this grand struggle between good and evil. We are a part of it. And it is exciting. But our society begins to tell our children there are no supernatural forces of evil. There are no supernatural forces of good. The world is all there is. You are here by accident. Good and evil are just social constructs. They are relative. No one knows what is really good. And if you still believe in God or devils or angels, you're a child. You're intellectually primitive. If you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived and then died for our sins, then rose from the dead in victory, you're a simpleton. You're like a child. You've climbed a tree and you look silly. That's what we're, so what do we say to these things? If we say no, I do believe. What, what, what do we say? Well, a couple things. First of all, Jesus said, you are going to look like a child. Get used to it. You will be mocked. People will look down on you. People will make fun of you. Just get used to it. Because you have to become like a child to be humble, to enter in the kingdom of heaven. You've got to climb the tree. The other thing is, there's a lot of interesting people in the tree with us, if you think about it. You know, tomorrow, no, you probably don't know this, tomorrow is the 55th anniversary of when Dr. Martin Luther King won the Nobel Prize. He gave a speech, you can look this up, he gave a speech that is stunning to the most brilliant people who are gathered there, 
the Nobel Committee, all the scientists, all the leaders who were gathered there when he gave his acceptance speech. And he said, I'm just picking out two things. He said, I refuse to believe the idea that we are mere flotsam and jetsam. First of all, I love flotsam and jetsam. Okay, those are old words we don't use. I love that he used those words. We're mere flotsam and jetsam in the river of life, unable to respond to the eternal oughtness that confronts us. What is he saying here? He's saying, I reject the idea that the world is all there is, that we are here accidentally, that good and evil is just a matter of opinion. I reject that flatly. Now, he's rejecting that in front of an audience who, by and large, have totally bought into it. And he's winning the Nobel Peace Prize. And he's saying, unless you agree with me, peace is not going to come. It's not going to come. We have to understand there is a right and wrong. It has been eternally decreed. And he follows it up with this. I believe there is an eternal world out there by which we know that certain laws on this world, in this world are unjust. He's saying what? There is a right and wrong that goes over all societies, that goes over all cultures, that goes over all nations. There are certain things that are unjust. Now, he was speaking truth at that time, especially to laws that, are, that were on the books in our culture, in our nation at that time. And he said, because of God, they're unjust. That's it. Good and evil are not matters of opinion. It is not all relevant. We have an incredibly brilliant man who's in the tree with us. And I could go down a list you know, of people that we could talk about that way. But we have to understand this. Why do those stories, why do those movies thrill us? Because they strike a chord that's deep inside. They strike a chord that God has placed in our lives. I used to make up stories for my kids at night when they'd go to bed. You know, I've shared with you guys some of the stuff that I've done with my kids, and so you've probably got a hold of the idea that I was not the greatest father in the world. But there's some things I did pretty good, and this is one of them. They love this. We, I told them the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And, and I had three of my kids together at that time that I was telling this story to, and they said, are there any more stories like that? And I was like, well, yeah. Yeah, there are. I'll tell you one tomorrow night. So the next night, they were like, what is it, what is it? I said, I want to tell you the story of Snow White and the Seven Giants. And then I just rambled on this story. And it, you know, and it doesn't have to be very good when your kids are little. It doesn't have to make a lot of sense because they're okay with that. And so the next night, it was Snow White and the Seven Robbers. Next night, it was Snow White and the Seven Trolls. And then it just started getting weirder and weirder and weirder, but they loved it. They love, why? Because there's these themes of good and evil. They're defined. They understand them. There's these themes that someone is going to come and rescue. And every once in a while, I just changed up. Usually the someone who rescued was, was, was me. That, I, I kind of brought myself into this story. And they were like, you knew, Sal, you knew Snow White? Oh, yes. Yeah. We were like, that Snow White. Huh? <laughs> I dropped her for your mother. Yeah. And, and, and they, they loved it. It thrilled them. Why? Because it fires our imagination to think that we're a part of something, that there's something out there, that we can be a part of this struggle. God says, why do those, 
Why do these fairy tales thrill us? Because God made us this way. When you're a child, your heart thrills to these, and then you grow up, and you need something more than just a fairy tale, and it's called the gospel. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what all the stories are pointing to. Because we have this need in us. Harry Potter's, sacrif- Harry Potter's mother's sacrificial love made it possible for him to be redeemed from Voldemort. And then later he gave his life and was raised from the dead. Where does that point? In the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan's death is the deeper magic from the dawn of time than the white witch ever knew about. You see, these stories, they point to Jesus in so many different ways. The stories we love point to Jesus. The movies we love, they point to Jesus. Because they have right and wrong, and they still tell stories of a a man or a woman who steps forward and rescues people. And we love that because it's in us. We need it. It strikes something very deep. You don't have to give up childlike wonder. The gospel actually encourages it. And you can live in it for the rest of your life as a child of Jesus. So you have to be willing to climb a tree. Life changes that we, to see the life life change, we have to deal with our internal obstacles. We have to deal with our external obstacles. The main thing that's keeping Zacchaeus from Jesus is the crowd. So many people are like these people. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. And they use this word, it's very pejorative, it's very negative. Um, It is an abusive and oppressive term. They look down on everyone else who does not have their belief and practices. And unfortunately, this can happen in a church. Too many times people call themselves Christians and then turn other people off from the gospel by their attitudes and actions. And we don't want to be a part of that. Because I've talked to people who say they do not believe and oftentimes they point back to a time when someone who called themselves a Christian treated them badly, were judgmental, had self-righteous. And so they said, I don't want Jesus. If that's what Jesus leads to, I don't want that. And we want to fight that. We want to fight that attitude. How did Zacchaeus get over this barrier, these external problems? He found a way to see Jesus apart from the crowd. He got to a place where he could see Jesus directly. This is one of the reasons, as a church, why we look to Jesus. This is one of the reasons, as a church, we make no apology that we are totally dedicated to the Word of God. This this is our lodestone. This is what we stand on. We have no other authority, no other allegiance. It's the text is what we're interested in because these are God's words to us. And when we read these words, we see Jesus. We hear Jesus. He impacts our lives. And so we see see in the Gospels how, how many times Jesus was upset with the righteous and religious people. The only place we see Jesus thunder is when he's with Bible teachers and religious leaders. Whenever he's with unbelievers and sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, even when he's trying to get them to change, he's incredibly gentle and kind. He shows them love. He, he doesn't say what you're doing is okay, but he loves them. 
and wants to institute the change that will be necessary in their lives as they love him back. Jesus pronounces woes on two little towns, Bethsaida and Chorazin. He tells them it will be better in the judgment than, than, Sodom, uh, than Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, some cities of immense evil. Because Bethsaida and Chorazin were these two nice little towns that prided themselves on keeping the law, but they missed Jesus. It's like Jesus is saying, woe to you, you towns and cities with nice picket fences and nice churches with lots of nice religious moralistic people. It'll be better for the red light districts of the big cities in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus constantly spoke against moralism and pride and self-righteousness. You see it constantly. All the outsiders he welcomed. Whatever the reason for them being an outsider was, he welcomed. Sometimes it was not their fault, sometimes it was their fault, and he welcomed them. He says to outsiders, I'm coming to your home. I want to come into your life. Because religion is, I need to work hard so God will accept me. And the gospel is Jesus Christ is, it's sheer grace. Jesus comes to my home. So to see the life change, we have to deal with internal obstacles. We have to deal with external obstacles. There will always be external obstacles in your life. There will always be people. But the third thing is we have to go all in. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. What do I mean by going all in? Zacchaeus takes Jesus home, which is the most intimate part of any person's life in that day. It's interesting to me that Jesus does not say, Zacchaeus, believe in me, or Zacchaeus, accept me, and I will come home with you. He doesn't mention that. He just says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming home with you. And so for someone to take someone in their house. And he uses that word, um, I must stay at your house today. That word stay has the implications of a long stay. It has the impl- implications of room and board. So evidently, Z- Jesus lived in Zacchaeus' house for a while anyways. And there's two I- key ideas here that I think help us. First is we see the order of grace. Notice the order here. Does Zacchaeus say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to stop cheating people. I'm going to pay back what I owe. And then, once I've done that, you can come home with me. Nope. Nope, he doesn't do it in that order. Jesus says, I'm coming home with you. That's the first thing. We oftentimes can talk to people about inviting Jesus into your life. And I think that is, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not denigrating it, but we see something here. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus was just taking a look, and maybe there was some level of belief in that climbing of the tree and avoiding the crowd. But Jesus came up and said, I'm inviting myself into your life right now. And so it seems to be there's this both for both of us. Jesus inviting himself, us inviting Jesus But Jesus does not say, if you clean yourself up and get your life straight, I'll come live with you. No, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. In spite of your sin, in spite of your record. See, I love this. 
Tim Keller talks about this a lot. Jesus is not the Wizard of Oz, right? He doesn't say, bring me the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West, and then I will do this for you. That's not how it works. That's not, it, and, and we see this, I love this in, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the story of Naaman when he goes to the prophet and he wants to be healed and he's heard that in, there's this prophet of God that can heal him. And, and what does the prophet say? He says, go wash yourself in this river. And, uh, and, and Naaman walks out and, and he's ticked. He's so mad. He's like, there's a river where I live and it's a better river than your smelly river. I could have washed in that river and saved myself this journey here. He's just going to ask me to wash in a river? That's ridiculous. And Naaman's upset. Why? He thought he was going to have to do something big. He, bought, he brought with him a ton of gold and a ton of silver to pay this man. And he says, go wash in a river? Yeah, you're, you're a fraud. Right? And if you read the story, his servants come to him and they say, if he had told you to do this, you know, to, to, to kill the wicked witch of the West, you'd have done it. And what would have happened? He would have earned it. What happens? God teaches Naaman. It's an incredible story. He teaches Naaman about grace. This healing will be free. Keep your gold. Keep your silver. Put your sword away. Tell those soldiers you brought with you to stand down. This is grace. It's grace. It's shot through the Old Testament. So Jesus tells Naaman, bring me, in spite of your flaws, in spite of all these things, God's going to do it. And he says to us, in spite of your flaws, in spite of whatever it may be. With Zacchaeus, it was in spite of your cheating, in spite of your collaboration with the enemy. I'm coming to spend time with you. I'm giving myself to you now. And what is the response? Zacchaeus stood up. They're at the house now. There's some sort of a meal. And he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. When we yield and place ourselves in the position of allowing God's grace to work in our lives, of learning about his grace, this is what happens. This is what happens. And I love this. The, the look, Lord, is a, a phrase oftentimes that they would use for little children, you know. Ever, ever have one of your kids or maybe one of your grandkids, they've done something that they think is incredibly remarkable that you know is not that remarkable. It's simply something that children do, right? My little four-year-old son, four-year-old grandson, he's playing little league soccer. And, he, and he's not the most aggressive kid in the world. So last week, for the first time in about 12 games... He kicked the ball. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's a pretty low standard, right? I'm not, I'm not aiming real high in soccer, right? And he kicked the ball. And after he kicked the ball, he ran over to where his mom and dad and I and others were standing. And he was like, you know, did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? And I'm like, yeah, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> that's the whole point of the game, kid. So... What's happening here? Why, why did my grandson act that way? He was so excited. He was so excited. And he wanted me to know. He wanted me to see how excited he was. Zacchaeus is so excited here. Grace has entered into his life. A man who knew no grace. All he knew was oppression. All he knew was, was, was people being angry at him. And him responding in kind. 
All he knew was brutality. Pay these or these guys are going to beat you up, maybe kill you. That's all he knew. And grace enters into his life. And he's excited. He's excited. He says, look, look, Lord. Grace has gone through Zacchaeus like a lightning bolt. And he's saying, I've seen your love. I want to change. All right? It's not, I've changed, now you love me. It's, I've seen that you love me. I want to change. Change blossoms in love. Change is the result of love. And Jesus is saying this change now shows that salvation has come into this man's house. Come to this man. Salvation first, then the change. So we see this, this grace that came first. The second thing I see here too is grace will always change you. In those days, to go home and eat with someone had deep meaning and implications. This is why the people who are standing around Jesus at this time are mortified. They're horrified. Because, because for a rabbi, and this is something that I think is, is important in this, for a rabbi to eat in someone's home is to bless it, is to give God's blessing on that home because the rabbi has decided to eat there. And so it's a very significant thing. So you see, Jesus goes to the home of a tax collector, and they're like, wait, what? You're blessing this man's home? You're bestowing your favor as a rabbi upon this man? And Jesus says, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're thinking, how could you bless the home of a tax collector? How could you bless the home of a prostitute? How could you, you know, where are you going next? A murderer's house? Because eating there meant to participate in that person's life, to be a part of who they are. In those days, the evening meal was very long. You ate over a period of time, and then you went to bed because there was nothing else to do. I mean, there's no TV, no radio, no nothing, nothing to read. They would tell some stories around the dinner, and they would go to bed. This was the heart of the family life, so it could last for hours. And to invite someone to eat in an evening meal was to bring them into the inner workings of your family life. And Jesus is saying, I don't want to just come into your life on Sunday. I want every part of it. I want every aspect of it to be affected by my grace. When you wake up, his grace is there. When you drive to work or school or whatever, his grace is there. At work, at lunch, at dinner, with your family, it's permeated by his grace. When you watch TV, when you listen to music, when you go shopping, your free time, your vacation, when you give, his grace is there. It's permeated by it. And so what happens? The biggest part of Zacchaeus' life is affected. What is the biggest part of his life? Money. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor over money. He's hated by all these people, and he says it's worth it for the money. So we know this is his number one thing. In the Old Testament, you were taught that you had to give 10% of your income to charity. Zacchaeus says, I'm giving 50%. The Bible says in Numbers 5 that when you have cheated someone, you pay back the amount you've cheated plus a 20% penalty. He's paying them 400% penalty. Why does he do this? Because he can. He goes beyond, not because there's a rule, but because the grace in his life has started him on this adventure. This adventure of following Jesus. 
And the implications of that grace has overwhelmed the common sense of this world. The common sense of this world is like, okay, dude, if you are really convicted about this, we all know the law. 10% goes to charity. Those people you've cheated, you seem to have a record. Of course, he does. He's a tax collector. You have this record. Well, for every one of them, give their money back and give them 20%. And Zacchaeus is like, no. More. More. The thing that held his heart is now being given away. It's being given away. And so you see, the implications of grace has overwhelmed the common sense of this world. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and eat with you, sup with you. I want my grace to overwhelm every part of you. I want to change everything. Change the way you spend your money. Change your thought life. Change your sex life. Change your vocation. Change the, change the jobs you take. Change the jobs you turn down. Everything will be affected by the gospel. And so this is about having the grace of God flow through every part of our lives. And if we're honest, if we're self-aware, we'll be able to see parts of our lives that the grace is not, is not flowing through. And Jesus is knocking for that part of your life. He wants in. And how can he do this? He can do it because he's the ultimate insider. He was a part of the Trinity. He was at the bosom of the Father, and he gave that up. And he became the ultimate outsider by taking our sins upon himself. He took our penalty so that now he can look to us and say, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, he can say to you, I want to come to your home. I want to come home in your life. I want to be a part of it. So if you want that in your life, if you want that, you have to deal with internal obstacles, the things that are a part of you, the way you are, that can become an obstacle. Deal with the ex external obstacles, the people around you, situations around you, circumstances around you that may inhibit your walk with Christ. And he says you've got to deal with those. And then you go all in. You go all in. You push everything to the middle of the table. And you say, I'm going all in for Jesus. And he says, that's how it flows. That's how it flows. That how, that's how it flows at salvation, and that's how it flows and sanctification as we grow and grow and become more like Jesus. That's how it's going to work. He's just looking for people who are willing. People who will say, okay, God, I want to. Come home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, this, um, this story shakes me up. It makes me realize areas I've fallen incredibly short. And uh, so help me to deal with internal obstacles and external obstacles and help me to go all in. And for every person here, Lord, I pray the same prayer, God, that as we walk, as we endeavor to walk with you, you would show us areas and say, I want to go, I want that too, and I want that too. And as we do that, we, we experience the incredible joy that Zacchaeus felt. At the day when he lost almost everything that he loved, he was incredibly happy and joyful and blessed. Help us to be like Zacchaeus. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to come forward and take an offering. Again, I want to 
mention, if you're a guest here, we're not asking you to give. This is what our regular attenders and our members do as a part of their worship. Thank you.